Hi, welcome to Read Weird, a podcast about reading and writing strange and experimental fiction. I'm Carly. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Read Weird. And today we are going to talk to you about some weird things that happened to us this week and <laughs> some other weird things. And some other weird things. <laughs> Just more weird things. I think that's it. That's our show. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so what, yeah, what weird stuff has happened to you since last time we recorded? I have had um, a few weird things. It's been kind of like a weird week. I saw someone eat a scorpion. Oh, Yeah, no. that someone was actually Scott. So <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to become a mutant now? I'm waiting to find out. So okay. they served the, at this this um, museum in Oregon. They have like a cafe, and in the cafe they have like a bug bar, and um, so you can eat like termites and like mealworms and the normal bugs that you eat at a bug bar. But they also had uh, scorpions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the normal bugs at a bug bar. You yeah, know. you know the the dried ones. <laughs> But they had <clears throat> scorpions, and they were preserved in alcohol. And they preserved them in, you know, I mean, normally when something is, like, preserved in alcohol, it's, like, you know, like a brandied cherry, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, like, for flavor. But this, they, they preserved them in, like, Everclear, so it just smelled Ugh. like airplane fuel. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> he said it didn't taste Yikes. like anything other than Everclear, but... Watching those legs go down was a little rough. Oh, mm-mm. Nope. I think I would have to break up with that person immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, we attracted a little bit of an audience who, you know, they were being offered bugs, and they're like, oh, no, I'm just here to watch this guy eat the scorpion. So... <laughs> I do think that says something good about Scott, that he's, like, open to the horrifying experiences. Oh, yeah. When the planet runs out of food, like, I'm done. I'm gone. But he's going to be mm-hmm. just fine. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Although they did, they were selling this, like, pasta that was made from, I can't remember what kind of bug. It was either cricket or mealworm. It was something, like one of, like, mm. the benign bugs. And it looked like just whole wheat pasta. And I was like, I could probably do that. Yeah. And be fine. Yeah. If I don't have to look at that cricket. Right. I have eaten cricket. You have? But, yeah, there was some sort of, like, f- agricultural fair when I was a kid. And, uh... They were sautéing crickets, and so I think I had, like, an Italian oh. dressing cricket or something. Well, so Italian dressing, they're like, we need to put the most flavor we can on this cricket. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was, okay, I was pretty proud of myself. I did not eat any bugs this time. I have eaten a bug in the past at another museum in New Orleans, but I was able to be, like, there were all these, like, 10-year-olds who came up and were like, ooh, and, like, you know, looking at the bugs, and I was like, oh, you know, I hear that the termite tastes just like chocolate because that was how it was billed to us. And I was like, no, I'm not eating that. But, you know, I was able to present it in such a way that the 10-year-olds were like, ooh, and they went and ate it. And I was like, see, I won't survive, but I'm ensuring the future survival of the children. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose that when it comes to, like, global food desert and, uh, you know, we're all Mad Maxing it across the country, um... I'll probably just eat whatever and be fine, but... Good for you. I'll need my bugs in pasta form, please. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? 
Yeah, so this is this is a sadder weird, which is something oh. that yeah, this is this is a dark weird and I came across this, it was like recommended, you know how Facebook recommends like pages that you might like and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Facebook recommended the official Flat Earth and Globe discussion page. Oh and no. Yeah, well and I, so I clicked on it cuz I was like, oh this sounds funny. I bet this is like a troll page and it's very much not a troll page. <laughs> In fact, if you suggest that it's a troll page on the page, you get immediately banned from the page. And it's just, like, a real dark place of people convincing themselves and others that the Earth is flat. Oh, no. Yeah. But it's worth a look <laughs> if you want to feel really sad. Oh. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, someone commented and says, The Flat Earth Society has members all around the globe. <laughs> I think they mean all around the plate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's around. It's, it's just around. It's not oh, spherical. Shit. It's just round. <laughs> Learn your oh, geometry. Oh, and they, they actually have debates about what spherical means, too. <laughs> oh, like, no. Oh, yeah. And, okay, so let's let's make the assumption that the Earth is indeed flat. So you're like, okay, so there's got to be, like, a border to this flatness, right? Obviously, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So So what is... There's a round our flat earth there is a rim of ice and it's like ice walls but if you climb over the ice walls you're in like i don't even know what they call it there's like some it's like narnia basically so (laughs) but you have to get past all the ice walls (laughs) oh are you sure this is not just game of thrones you you know it feels a lot like it Uh, oh god we've we've made an enemy of the flat earth society now i don't know what's gonna happen we get thrown off the edge. <laughs> but there's no edge. It's just ice walls, and it goes on forever. There we go. Yeah. Although, I, I will say one of my... And this is another... I'm just going to quote it without having found it, but um, one of my favorite like answers to the flat earth theory is, if the world were flat, cats would have pushed us all off the edge by now. Yes! <laughs> they sure would have. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. Oh god, that's that's pretty I don't know. It's that's pretty dark. It it felt dark. It felt really dark. It's a good um example of the way that like you can just persist in a false belief despite all evidence to the con you know? Yeah. Like it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter you're gonna believe what you believe. Oh yeah. And you eject the people who are like too vehemently opposed to your position. It has, like, yeah. something absurd, like, 30,000 likes or, you know, people, members or whatever. Jesus. Like, too, that's too many. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I wonder how many of those are, are, like, sarcastic or, like, ironic likes. Yeah. But uh, there's no way of knowing. Right. Right. I almost did it, but then I would have been a member. Yeah, not, don't. Because then good. when you run for office someday, they're like, look, are you a member of the Flat Earth Society? And I like, sure am. <laughs> I'm proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you on the ice floes. <laughs> That's the greatest sign-off I've ever heard. See you on the ice floes. <laughs> oh, all right, I'm going to add that to my email signature. Yeah, please do. But how about you? Nothing that good. I oh. do not have anything that good. <laughs> But I do, so I live in a row house, and as you know, and I sure do. so 
the house on one side of us is, has been empty since we moved in. And there was sort of some conversation about what was, what was going to happen, but they didn't get a permit to do this and that. Anyway, so they are doing some work on it now, but there's no, like, announcement about that. And so the other day I was home and just, like, heard a lot of, like, banging and, like, footsteps and stuff in oh, the house no. next door. And I was like, is there... It was... It was... I really couldn't tell at first if it was just sort of like normal neighborhood noise or if there was someone walking around and then I was in my room and like could hear someone like banging on the wall and I was like fuck that house is haunted (laughs) I knew it I had that feeling all along (laughs) like for some reason that was my first reaction and not like there's someone in there burgling it or so you know like that was just like (laughs) it's like it's definitely a ghost um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it is confirmed now that they're they're doing they're like pulling all the you know paneling and stuff out and I've seen I've seen the work people doing stuff but um, I was very disoriented and even like a couple days later I woke up in the morning and like had kind of I guess forgotten in my sleep stupor that because uh, <laughs> I haven't been having coffee I don't know what's going on. Um, I woke up and I'd kind of forgotten that they were were working over there. And so I was like, is there someone in my house? Like, oh, where... God. It's just like that, that barrier that you think is like pretty thick between your house and someone else's is really not that thick. And so like sound travels in weird ways and it's very disconcerting. Like I, I just find it very, particularly having come relatively recently from not living in a row house. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really disorienting. Yeah, there are two things about this. I'm in, like, a townhouse set up in an apartment, mm-hmm. and um, there are two things about that that are, like, totally worth thinking about, is that it's super easy for someone to come through your wall if they really want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and also, you, like, there are places in your house that magnify sound from the other apartment and it's Mm -hmm. so weird like you just go into like you know a bathroom in my apartment and you just can like stand in the bathroom and like listen to people having conversations and like we came home yesterday from uh we're out for work all day and it was like you know 7 30 a.m to an 8 30 p.m sort of day and the whole house smelled like someone had been hotboxing it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, like, how the smell has gotten into a house that's been closed up all day. But it's, mm-hmm. like, some weird osmosis of, like, sounds and vapors. And it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. I hope you have good neighbors. <laughs> yeah, they're very nice oh, uh, on the other side. But these people, who knows who will be in the new ones. So oh. we'll find out. Maybe it'll be Downey from Duplex. I hope so. It'd be a good neighbor to have. That'd be nice. Or the uh, Cindy AX. Yeah, I would take Cindy too. Is it? A- it's XA. Cindy XA. Yes, that's it. Sorry, sorry, Catherine Davis. I sinned against you. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Uh, um. <laughs> so I have two other little things. Um, one is that I'm listening to Geek Love on audio, which is really good. What is um, Geek Love? You- I don't know this. So it's a, it's a novel by Catherine Dunn about this family of circus people, but basically this um, this couple decides to build their own freak show with their children. So they like take a lot of experimental drugs and stuff while the woman is pregnant to try and like. So they have conjoined twins and like a bunch of other kids um, with specialties, basically. Oh wow! 
including someone who uh, has telepathic powers. Um, and so it's sort of, it's partly the story about the, um, the family in the circus. And then it's also later, um, one of the, the adult children is kind of trying to connect to her grown daughter. Um, so, so many years later. Um, so there's sort of this, it's, it's a family story, but it's a family story about circus freaks, basically. Um, it's really amazing. good. Yeah. It's great. It's, I think it's, um, one of those like kind of classic things that I just hadn't gotten around to and I'm glad that I got around to it. Cool. Um, yeah, that's real good. I would recommend it. I think you would enjoy it. Um, it's also, it's very, it's a good example of like how a sort of not a naive narrator exactly. It's not like my happy life or something, mm-hmm. um, by Lydia Millet, but it, uh, it definitely is. You see how they, the, the narrator has sort of like bought into the family line. Like it's being narrated by someone who doesn't see any of this as strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are also reading it with this view of like, it's a pretty wildly unethical thing to do <laughs> to like, yeah. you know, experiment on your children. And they, um, there are like children who don't survive. And so they're, oh, it's really, it's very bleak. And like, there are parts of it that are very very heartbreaking in a way but the narrator is like you know it's just normal um and and i mean i'm a pretty suggestible person so i tend to just like get caught up in that where i'm like yeah it's just normal but then every once in a while i'm like what (laughs) the hell (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's but it's really good it's it's really good i would i think you would like it oh man yeah it sounds really great so yeah that's all for me that's so good weirdness so good. I have some more things, but I'm going to put them in my pocket for an episode that we're going to try to do um, in the coming weeks, which is going to be Twin Peaks centric. So yeah, I'm holding yeah. them in because they're going to be good, but they're also not really relevant to today. Okay. All right. Well, I can't wait. I, you were very good at like keeping me in suspense of the weird stuff <laughs> that has happened to you. And I feel like you have some very, like, my weird stuff is like, there are neighbors. And your weird stuff is like, my boyfriend drank a scorpion. <laughs> So you're definitely you're killing it here. You're you're really winning. Oh well, that was just this week. It was like I said, it was a weird one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this week we're gonna do something a little different. Uh, we don't have a work of fiction that we're reading for this week, but instead are going to kind of bring you some ideas for generating fiction. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> dun dun dun. Um, yeah, and I think this is a nice change of pace because we, we talk a lot about reading fiction, um, but I think one of the things that we do care about too is thinking about how to write fiction and hopefully also at some point we'll talk a little bit about how to teach fiction that is weird to, um, classroom strategies and stuff. But, um, I think the the production side of things, how do you generate weird fiction is a good topic for us because it's certainly something that we both struggle with. Yeah. For sure. So last time we had talked about, I don't remember how this came up, but like after in our post audio recording, we talked about like mishearing things and how mishearing can be the source of like weirdness and where weirdness comes from in a way, I guess, and kind of how you can magpie that for writing. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, we should talk about like language and generating weird fiction and things like that. Um, so I think we both kind of came up with prompts. Mine actually went in a different direction than I it had expected. So oh, good. It's okay. not really relevant to the, <laughs> to where we thought ah, we were going to go, but it's still kind okay. of a more rooted in my process, I guess. Um, awesome. 
But yeah, do you want to go first? Sure, yeah. So I have I have two sort of things, because I can't ever just stick with one. I'm always like, I have three nope. answers, so I'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding four. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were, I mean, we were thinking about, I think part of this was coming out of Vanessa's uh, first weird reading experience where she was talking about nonsense language, and I feel like the thing that keeps coming up for us is, like, misperception and the way that, like, you misunderstand something and then eventually there's an answer to it, yeah. um, which we were talking about last week, too. Um, and I, I really like the idea of, like, how can you use language to create strangeness? Um, and maybe it's, like, grammatical strangeness, like Vanessa was talking about in uh, Alice in Wonderland. Maybe it's other kinds of strangeness. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite ways that this happens in my, like, normal life is mishearing or misunderstanding people um, just like in conversation and I, I don't have like super good hearing so this happens to me a lot I feel like I miss I misperceive people um, pretty frequently and it really I, I just really enjoy that moment I almost prefer the misperception sometimes mm-hmm. and I like to like reside in it I, I almost don't want to get to the point um, <laughs> where I understand <laughs> Um, like if I could just, if I didn't, if it weren't a matter of like, oh, what did you actually want me to do? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I would just be like, oh, okay. She definitely said that thing and not like a normal, you know, could you change the copier toner? It's like, no, that's not what she said. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think the the whole thing is like, it's hard to call on examples of things that we have like misheard because you forget about them in the moment and you move on. But they're so much more interesting than could you change the copier toner. That mishearing is like, it's so much more interesting than the mundane that's being asked. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do have an example, not about copier toner. Um, <laughs> oh, <of> good. My... <laughs> one of my favorite times that this has ever happened to me was when I was a kid and we were like, uh, so we were at the beach and we had this waitress who had a very thick Russian accent or Eastern European accent. Um, and she came up to us and asked, you want some snails? <laughs> and we were like, do we want some snails sorry what (laughs) and it took us a real like we went back and forth for a pretty long time before we realized that what she was saying was do you want something else (laughs) (laughs) and it really like it just delighted me it was so i was like snails yes (laughs) of course i want snails yeah um and it, like it really became like this touchstone in our in our family. We would like bring it up all the time, and so that that's the one that I think of as like that's my like peak misunderstanding. Um, it didn't have very dire consequences, but it just really delights me. Um, and I think oftentimes misunderstandings like that get used for comedic effect. Like we we talk about them because they're funny. Um, like who's on first? You know the the skit. Who's on first? Like that's it's just the classic kind of misunderstanding comedy moment. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of times why we bring those up is that they they make us laugh or they result in some sort of like you know hilarious misadventure. Mm-hmm. But I think also, like, misunderstandings can be used in more dramatic ways. Um, and I'm not talking in this case about, like, misunderstandings of social mores or, you know, I said go away, but what I really meant was come back, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are a different kind of misunderstanding, which I feel like a lot of fiction is is grounded in. Certainly, like, romantic comedies are mm-hmm. grounded in. 
I, I do think there is dramatic potential in misunderstanding and particularly like the ability to like set a tone or give some insight into a character in some way. Um, Cause really I think what, what that kind of misunderstanding of language is and what makes it weird is that it just jars you out of the ordinary a little bit. It mm-hmm. like unsettles you. It makes you reevaluate assumptions that you have about what's going on and like what you can expect. So there's this sort of like mismatch between your expectations and what's actually happening. And I think that can really be productive in both sort of a non-realist setting, but also even realist fiction to like give you a moment of weirdness that just like create some texture or some some unease. And so one example, and I think when we started to talk about this, this is the one that I gave you, there's a scene in the George Clooney movie Up in the Air. It's pretty early in the movie, I think, maybe even the first scene. He's on a plane and the flight attendant looks at him and says, do you want the cancer? <laughs> Which of course is like he's very discon. So they go back and forth about what he, you know, and it, of course it turns out that she's saying, "Do you want the can to go with your drink, like the can of soda?" Yeah. Um, but it it really like the thing that makes that moment stand out to me is that he it really creates this like little seed of something dark in the story where like Mm -hmm. the character doesn't have cancer it's not like it's literal foreshadowing but it just it's like this little bit of darkness in there or like this little bit of unbalancing of the viewer that suggests something uh, slightly wrong with George Clooney's like perfect life in the movie like he's he pretends to be very happy with how where he is and how he lives his life and that he's comfortable with it and and in fact that's not entirely true and so it just it just like puts this little crack in the facade um, and opens up some room and I think that's something that a misunderstanding of this kind can do for you yeah and I, I like the possibility of that yeah yeah I'm totally all about that that's awesome yeah. So that my that was like my first suggestion, my first exercise, and I don't have like really extended instructions for it, but basically just to like use language or grammar um to introduce some kind of uh, misunderstanding between two characters in a scene. Um and ideally I think it's something that as I was saying would like yield a little bit of insight or help set a tone in a story. Um and we'll just kind of give you a feeling of of unease that's productive in some way um yeah and it might be just momentary it might be really extended um but i think i think that's a just like a a way to just create a little bit of a wrench in in a moment and to remember too that like from a realistic standpoint communication is not perfect and a lot of times we write dialogue as if like people perfectly understand each other and are gonna like do exactly what we say to each other and if what do exactly what we say to each other if I tell, <laughs> do know. this to you here's a great example of not making sense um <laughs> uh that you know a lot of times we misunderstand each other or we think we understand each other and we don't we're kind of talking across purposes and so i think if you're interested in sort of realism in your writing about people like that that is a way of kind of just giving a little human touch in in a scene yeah and my my like total like left 
turn there would also be to, um, because I'm someone who really delights in, like, absurdity, and I find absurdity to be very funny, and often in my own work, like, something absurd is, like, the launch point for the rest Mm -hmm. of the story. If you hear something, if you mishear it, like, steal it. Or if you hear someone mishear something, (laughs) you write that sentence down, and maybe that sentence doesn't, like, make it into your work, but, like, the, the sentence that follows might be the thing that you know, leads from that mishearing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, that that might be the story is what happens after that mishearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's, like, there's a way to do, to do a misunderstanding that is kind of an extended, or excuse me, that is, like, a very short, just, like, they have a miscommunication, and then there's more what you're talking about where it is this sort of extended, like, I feel like there are some great um, Danielle Carm stories that kind mm-hmm. of hinge on, like, what feels like a misunderstanding or mm-hmm. like a like a play on a word it really it leaves a lot of room for the absurd yeah yeah and the, like the play on the word doesn't make it into the story but it's all of like the behind the scenes stuff that can be the story mhm mhm my other suggestion is sort of related to that extended more extended confusion um but i was thinking a lot about mondegreens also which are misheard lyrics Oh, they're like, I don't know that word. That word is awesome. It's great. And so apparently some guy, I don't remember who, but some guy, there's a a sort of hymn, I think, that includes the lyric, and laid him on the green. Uh, And as a kid, he always thought it was, and Lady Mondegreen. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And of course, there are like a lot of pretty famous ones, like, excuse me while I kiss this guy, or... um, There's a there's a bathroom on the right in the <laughs> rising, like okay, um, so I, it, there's like a lot of different really fun uh, kinds of misunderstandings and misappropriations of words, misuse of words. Um, so like malaprops are a good example of this, where you, like you use a similar but not quite correct word that results in in sort of a nonsensical sentence or an incorrectly intended sentence. And the other, another category that I love is a Hobson Jobson. Oh, <laughs> which, yes, right? Um, so Hobson Jobson, there's a sort of, uh, a lot of these are kind of cross-cultural um, misunderstandings and basically it's a, a where you hear a word in another language and translate it homophonically into your own language. <laughs> So Hobson Jobson is like a misperception of, of some, I think, Hindi or um, Arabic word. And uh, Kukaracha is a good example where like it, they didn't, they just became Kakorch because it sounded similar. Oh. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of great, like weird linguistic history um, stuff there. Um, a lot of a lot of the Hobson Jobsons seem kind of racist to me. Probably, um, so probably are not not great there. Um, but there's a bunch of different sort of similar like whoever came up with these terms. I just love <laughs> love the person who's like we're gonna call this a mondegreen or uh, apparently there's another word for and this is like a pretty common like viral internet thing where you hear. Song, a song. I think this is right. Where you hear a song in another language, and kind of misinterpret the lyrics into English, like nonsense English. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, like my he. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Well, so I was trying to find this song that, oh my God, I used to get in fights with my family about my insistence about what the lyrics were and like <laughs> was not even close. Like not even, it's, it's this like song from the 90s. It was like a one hit wonder. I cannot find it, but it's like the one, um, something, it's like the, it's the one I love or whatever. Um, I can't remember any other lyrics, but I would have put any money on and vehemently fought my family on this that the lyrics were it's the one-eyed bat (laughs) 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 and i to this day get made fun of for the one-eyed bat (laughs) well so i i love that first of all because i love you i think that's wonderful um it it is amazing how like once you mishear it you get like set into that and like you can't hear it the other way and even so like preparatory to our conversation here i was watching a bunch of videos of like songs with the wrong caption underneath (laughs) (laughs) because of course and um and it is like even if i know what the lyric is seeing the caption underneath makes it really easy to hear it the wrong way in most cases. I think our brains, like, really... I think part of it is that if we do, if if we don't know, we really struggle to, like, make some meaning out of something. Um, and I think the other piece of it is, like, this... is that we kind of, like, tend to hear what we expect to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Like, although in that case, the one-eyed bat... Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's fitting, though. That's 100% of... right, isn't it? <laughs> That is what I expected to hear. That's which certainly is, what I hope to hear. Yeah. <laughs> which is why I'm consistently disappointed in pop culture. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. Uh, oh, man. But th- what you're saying, though, like about the things that you're like kind of expecting to hear, or, like if you don't know, you know, like that when you see a mismatched lyric or like with bad lip reading, like you can, mm-hmm. you can totally believe that that's what they're saying. And that goes back to the flat earth society and why that is so fucking terrifying is because it, it works kind of the same way is that these are people who are like, you know, searching and convincing themselves that like they don't know. So flat earth is right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean... On the one hand, it can be so delightful, right, to, like, dwell in that uncertainty and, like, as we've talked about before, like, getting to the solution or the answer, the right lyric, is sometimes disappointing. Like, mm-hmm. it's more fun to believe that it's a one-eyed bat than, than it's the one I love. Um, but at the same time, like, and as we, we've talked about before, that, like, misperception... Or, like, dwelling in that misperception can also be really dangerous. And there is definitely, like... I mean, that's fake news, right? We're living in this world where um, you choose to believe something counterfactual because it is more kind of in line with your beliefs. And I think there is sort of a... Yeah, I guess just a dark side about what that counterfactualness looks like. Um, and I don't know where to go with that. Other than that it's, it's a little... It is a little scary, yeah, there there is a dark side. Like you have to use this power for good. <laughs> yes, that that yeah. one. So uh, just to finish my my, I did go on on that tangent about Mondo Greens for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, bring us back. Bring us back. <laughs> just crawling back, tooth and nail. 
So I was thinking about, about monogreens and about these sort of more extended kind of misperceptions. And I was thinking that it might be useful to do what is called hamamama, is what I just started to say. (laughs) (laughs) So malapropism. Um, To do what's called homophonic transformation. So that thing of Hobson Jobson is called homophonic translation. So translating just by the sound. Um, But homophonic transformation is when you you change words into other similar sounding words in the same language. Mm. Um, And so apparently, I didn't know this until I looked this up. I was thinking that it would be really useful to use homophonic transformation to kind of just like shake up your own writing a little bit. And I was thinking about this not in terms of uh, like trying to write a finished piece with it, although you mm-hmm. probably couldn't, it would be great. Um, but more so that like sometimes I just get into a rut where I feel like my language doesn't have any like excitement or interest in it, or I'm just like yeah, not yeah. hearing the language at all. Um, and so I think this would be a way to like help you think about the sound of your writing and, and to, I don't know, just like, Free yourself up a little bit. Um, so, like the example I gave, uh, this is from a story from the, from like an old old story of mine that will never see the light of day. Just um, <laughs> just too until you transform all of the words, right? Exactly. Yeah. Until I transform all the words. Um, so he just rented this warehouse by the pier. Um, becomes he just rent tens. It swears the house by the years. Oh. Um, and like it's not quite exactly right. I feel like there's a way to like I love that he just ren tends like yeah. It's just taking care of the wrens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. And you can use that like pizzazz language like in something else. You can totally magpie from yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I found that like in in trying to do it it made all the rest of the writing around that just, like, a little bit brighter and, like, fresher. And, oh, I love you know, that. Once I translated it back, it was... It just got me thinking about language better. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I have to write this down so that I remember to do that. <laughs> it, by doing this, makes fresher. All right. <laughs> Everyone try this at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's it's really fun to like hear you talk about these things because in some of these ways I was kind of thinking about like my own process and some of it is kind of like piggybacking or in some way related to what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually had forgotten about this until you started talking about the Hobson Jobson or whatever. It's such a fun <laughs> thing to say, um, which is that when I was taking high school Spanish, you know how you have to like when you're in a language course, you have to have all of these like oral prompts where you have to, you know, pretend to be the salesperson, you know, mm-hmm. selling like a used car to a grocery store worker. And you're like, those are, it's, it's hard. It's very hard to like think about what you would actually say and then add on to that, like what mm-hmm. um, the person, that character would actually say. And uh, my Spanish teacher in in high school, he said that, you know, like just lie, like it's not your, your native language. So think, think about speaking in a foreign language as the opportunity to lie and just like mm. say whatever you want. And that's always really stuck with me and been kind of like a, a fun thing to think about. So if you know, like a foreign language, if you can start, you know, just writing anything in a foreign language, hmm. uh, you know, and then just kind of using that as like a springboard, like it's that opportunity to kind of like crack into that headspace. Um, that you, you know, need to kind of generate, like, because that's what we're doing when we're, we're being weird. Like, we know 
we've said all this stuff before, like we know that these things don't actually literally happen uh, Mm -hmm. in the real world. So how do you kind of like get into a a space where they become real and you're kind of lying to yourself? I like that. Yeah. So it makes it fun and like takes the pressure off. And I guess that's kind of like the theme with all of the things that I was thinking about was not necessarily like how um, does language itself specifically work when we're, you know, we're using weird language, but more of, like, how do you get into that headspace of being weird and, like, using language to get into that headspace? So, um, along with if you can write in another language, uh, I was thinking about, like, constraints, you know, and kind of, like, the, Mm. like, the Ulipo kind of model of, like, Mm -hmm. putting a constraint on your writing. So, one of my exercises when I'm, like, beating myself up. Now I'm going to try the homophonic transformation. That sounds amazing. Um, But another thing that I like to do is this exercise where, um, and it it totally yields like unproductive results, but you start, you know, just writing. So, you know, pick a word or whatever to start with, but every word that follows has to begin with the last letter of the word that came before. So if you start with like, Ah. yeah, so if you start with like the, because I always start with the because it's a boring word and, you know, it's safe, a safe, boring word, (laughs) then you'd have to start the next word with E. And I have like two defaults. I don't know why. Like E for me is always elephants and S is always spaghetti. But (laughs) 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 so you produce this like nonsense and get into this like headspace of where you're kind of moving into the ability to be weird by not holding yourself to making sense, either grammatical or in terms of, like, plot or story. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, you know, I think there are some, like, famous Lupo and, and adjacent, um, you know, like, the novel without ease and stuff. But I yeah. like that. I like what you're suggesting because it's word by word, right? Like, it, yeah. there's that sort of cause and effectness of it. That's really nice. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah, word by word. Yeah, you have to pay attention to every word. And just, like, don't hold yourself to, like, grammatical constraints or, like, anything. Put a period in wherever you want. Like, it just doesn't matter. And Mm -hmm. then, obviously, this doesn't yield something that you can turn into a piece of fiction. Although there might be a sentence that kind of, like, stands out and strikes you as a gem that that you can then follow and see if that Mm -hmm. can be a piece of fiction. But for me, Mm -hmm. it kind of, like, it puts me in this headspace where I can then go on to write something. I've, I've, like, entered into the world of being weird. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it does that in a couple of ways, it seems. Like, partly it's doing what we were just talking about of, like, making you pay attention to the language and how words are connected to each other. Um, And that seems really productive for, like, getting you started in writing. But it also seems like it would yield some, like, the elephant spaghetti. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like it would give you some really weird images. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to try that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing, this is just, like, more general, was, you know, just to do, like, okay, so it's not automatic writing. I thought it was called automatic writing, but it's automaticism, what the surrealists did, where it's, like, you know, like, the exquisite corpse and things like that, mm-hmm, where it's, like, mm-hmm. no conscious self-censorship. But I thought it, so this is another moment of, like, where you can be surprised by things that come up as weird and you can just for me I think about like automaticism as like the just just word vomit in a way um so it's, it's kind of like it's it has less of a constraint than the like the word by word sort of prompt mm-hmm. um it's more like free writing but less like free writing is normally answering to a prompt mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
So it's sort of like free association writing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't have to make sense, but it can. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to do, um, like, something more structured, like Ulipo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are mm-hmm. tons of examples out there for, for what you can do, um, like, in terms of Ulipo prompts. When it's, I seem to recall, it's been a while since I've, I've like, read a lot about the Dadaists and the Surrealists mm-hmm. and stuff, but, like, I feel like there's also a lot of, like, team stuff there. Yeah. Like, the Exquisite Corpse is a good example where... Um, like you, you know, you're passing it off, and part of the nonsense comes from sh- like trying to to share that with the next person. Yeah. Um, but it seems like that, like that's part of the the pleasure of it too. Yeah, yeah, and that is that is also kind of fun. It's like, well, this is in part about making writing play, I guess, and too, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the exquisite corpse has. A few too many rules for me. It's like, oh, you know, it's, it's a little too rule bound. But I always really liked, um, especially if you have like a group of a few people, the stories in the round, which is kind of similar. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can you mm-hmm. start off writing, and it's just it's more of like the free association. You just kind of go, and then when your time is up, whatever it is, like fifteen or thirty seconds, you fold the page over so that only the last line of what you've written is showing, and you pass it on so that the person can't see what mm-hmm. came before. Um, and that's also, I think that's more, like, productive for me and more fun. But. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm confused now. Because that's how I've always done The Exquisite Corpse. So I think The Exquisite Corpse is actually, like, pretty rule-bound in terms of, like, subject, verb, object, part of speech. Ah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's, like, the actual rules of Exquisite Corpse are, like, pretty grammatical. Gotcha. Yeah. So really, what I've been, what I've always been doing is, is just the story of the rest. Yes, but I think that is what we think of as exquisite corpse. I could be totally wrong, but I had this book of like surrealist writing prompts, and I think that that the, the I think you're right. That's where I got the grammatical thing. Yeah, you're right. All right, well, I'll take it, even if I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia says you are. I just uh, years of of creative writing workshops have have steered me wrong well and i guess that's that's where (laughs) things have become like something else yeah Yeah, it's true i have a different understanding of that but (laughs) yeah so yeah that's what i was thinking about that's awesome yeah i'm i'm definitely gonna try that like letter constraint yeah so yeah for me i guess these were less based in like language and more based in headspace and process and like Mm. getting into a weird Mm. headspace I mean, I think it is still based in language, yeah. though. I think that is language. It's just a different, I mean, the different way of approaching it. That's true. And we're writing, so there's language involved somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes. That. <laughs> so this week we have a uh, My First Weird from one of our listeners. It, this was in no way coerced or conscripted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> so this, my first weird, is from listener Scott. Oh, wait, did we introduce what Read Weird is? What the segment is? I don't know if we did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> um, This is uh, my first weird, or the weirdest read of all, where we invite you to tell us either about the first weird reading experience you ever had, or the weirdest thing you've ever read. We invite contributions from our readers. Um, we'd like to hear what you think is weird. What? <laughs> Fuck. 
That's perfect. Ah. <laughs> it's perfect. <Okay. laughs> so I will have the record know that in giving this presentation of weird, that I was essentially bribed. I was bribed with ice cream. I was bribed with beer. I said yes on those conditions. If those conditions are not met, I'm certainly going to redact this. But for now, I will proceed. So my first weird. I refuse to do my weirdest weird. I think that's a little bit too much pressure. And who's to really be the judge of that? Certainly not me. But my first weird I can absolutely recall. I was maybe 16, going on 17 when I was presented with my first copy of, of Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, th- this book for me was absolutely immersive into drug culture. It was fascinating. It was vividly written. And, you know, I just had to, I had to finish this book and very quickly. So I, I remember it very much. Ralph Steadman's illustrations are interspersed throughout. Fantastic artwork to accompany the, the text. And so, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. An exceptional book. And I haven't taken a look at it for a while, but you know, as I was thinking about what the hell I would say for this thing, I was just looking over the text again, and it was... A reminder of why I love this book so much. So just as it starts, and this is quoting, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, I feel a bit lightheaded. Maybe you should drive. Such a captivating first sentence. I love it. And the book goes through essentially this one journalist Experience with drugs. Experience with many, many different drugs. Drugs that I hadn't even considered. And today, as a druggist, it's still fascinating to think about how this person can so perfectly capture the experience that the brain has when it's totally turned off. (laughs) Um, I remember reading uh, the uh, section on the ether. Who the hell does ether? Hunter S. Thompson writes about it perfectly. And I love when they are, you know, first kind of experimenting, just like the, the sheer description of how they go about administering this totally volatile, uh, you know, 18th century anesthetic <laughs> that they're going to. Uh, huff essentially and they're going to experiment with and and not just on its own I mean quoting the book again two bags of grass 75 pellets of mescaline five sheets of high powder blotter acid a salt shaker half full of cocaine and a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers downers screamers and laughers clearly ether was not the only uh, drug in the mix here um, but they talk about this circus scene and how this was, you know, absolutely a mind-blowing experience. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it's the, the perfect read for someone who is just interested in learning more about the effects drugs have 
on not only the individual and the brain, but Hunter goes on in this this to talk about more complex issues like the politics around it, and uh, you know through the whole time is just pushing through. He's just taking it one step at a time, and you're like, how is this living, breathing person still functioning after what he's put his body through, his mind through? And how could you even come down off something like that? Um, so I think it's a, a remarkable book of the weird. It's filled with fascinating text about what is the American dream, where do drugs fall in that and and how do you continue to move forward amidst the odds of these these drugs and and their effects on you um so that is my first weird uh, again i assume at this point i'll be eating ice cream or something so we'll have to see okay i really i like this a lot i love the the who does either <laughs> Yeah, very valid question. Very legit question. Um, and I like I liked hearing about this from the perspective of a pharmacist, right? Like yeah. someone who thinks about drug reactions in their daily life, which like I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the realism of drugs in literature. Like I just tend to be like because I'm pretty gullible, I tend to accept it. Right, right. It's that kind of just buying into the world. Yeah. 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 So it's it's good to know that Hunter S. Thompson like hits the hits the mark of realism. Yeah, scientific realism. <laughs> um yeah, and also it's really interesting too that that even though Thompson is working in, you know, a more realistic genre that he's still kind of employing um what we've talked about in weird literature, like that first sentence and how key that is to pulling the reader into the world that you know the most readers probably don't have experience with the things that Thompson is talking about but just kind of building that believability and using uh, vivid imagery and things like that in a way that is it's believable I guess for for the lay reader which is the same thing that like we, when we talked about Amelia Gray you know mm. that first sentence and how key that is for something that's like not it, you know it's not likely to be real but you you believe in it immediately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was also thinking too that like the the use of drugs to kind of create a gateway into weirdness is really common, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times when I read like student fiction, it's either someone is on drugs. Uh, sorry, when I read student fiction and something weird is happening, um, mm-hmm. it's either that someone is on drugs or someone is mentally ill. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there's always this sort of like, it's always, it's, you know, it's just a dream kind of elements to it where, Mm -hmm. um, crazy stuff is happening, but there's some explanation for it. Um, and I think the thing that interests me about Thompson is that it's not really, it's not about creating an excuse for those weird things. It's about capturing fairly realistically, almost ethnographically in some way, the experience of the weirdness, right? Like, not not to yeah. uh, excuse it, but to uh, convey it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> we should all be ethnographic in our weirdness. But, yeah, when I was first writing, um, you know, kind of starting out and figuring out how to be a weirdo, I definitely employed um, drunkenness mm. as a way of, you know, kind of capturing weirdness. Um, 
Yeah, I had this story about a person who contracts gangrene from leaving a uh, plastic ring on their finger for too long <laughs> and getting a hamster bite. Oh. So, but but there was a lot of drunkenness that went around with that very complicated situation. Uh, well, and I think it's... How else to explain it? Yeah, I love that. That sounds like a story that I would enjoy reading. Mm. No? <laughs> I just want all of Lindsay's, like, your... Your like classics, your oldies but goodies. My back catalog. Yes, exactly. I want your back catalog. <laughs> but I do. I think that's. I think that's not uncommon to like to use those tools to kind of heighten the situation, and particularly as young people, like we may not necessarily know what other ways there are to do that, right? Like as a, as a beginning writer, it's very easy to create tension or create texture through really overt kinds of conflict, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like the same, the same is true of weirdness is that like, you're very uncomfortable with the idea of just like letting a weird thing stand. You need to explain it or get into it through some other, uh, form of stimulus yeah i do feel like that part of that is like a confidence thing Mm. too is like the confidence in the weird you know where you have to just believe that it can exist on its own it's like you were saying with the um desire to kind of explain it and rationalize weirdness I, i think that students tend to do it because they aren't confident in weird standing on its own like weird has to have a reason yeah so yeah yeah and i think I think also it's because it's not what we're taught. Like most of us, as we've talked about before, are like brought up in a tradition of realism. And so if you have that inclination toward strangeness, um, there really are not as many models for what something surreal looks like for you, especially if you're someone who like maybe watches more TV or like doesn't read a lot, you know, or has only read for school. Like there's, there's very few models for what literary strangeness looks like um, under its own merits. Right. Right. I think we should definitely like put a pin in this and come back to this when we talk about teaching it. Cause I, I think this is really relevant to our discussion of how you can like foster strangeness in the classroom. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. We will return. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, put, just put the weird, weird bat symbol in the in the sky. <laughs> Can we get one of those? Sure, why not? Uh, I mean, what is it? it? It'd probably be pretty small. You get one that just like fits over a flashlight. <laughs> it wouldn't really project in the sky very well. <laughs> Thank you, Scott, for for submitting this. This is really cool, um, and it was good to hear. Good to hear you talk about it. Um, from your unique perspective. Yeah, and if you have your first weird that you would like to share with us or the weirdest thing that you have ever read, we would really like to hear about it. And you can send that to us at readweird at gmail.com. You can send us an audio file if you want. You can send us text and we'll read it out. Whatever you want to do, we want to hear from you. Our dear listeners. <laughs> All right, so I think that's our show, Ben. Yeah, that sure is. Our theme song is Resiste by El Zombie Flash. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. It really helps people find us and know how excellent we are. Do us that little favor and, and help other people find us. 
You can find us on Twitter at ReadingWeird uh, or on the internet at ReadWeird.com. And that's where all of our show notes are, um, as well as other articles and stuff that we've published about uh, weirdness and, and how to do it and what it's like and, and all those things. Yeah, when we find little morsels of weirdness every day, we try to throw those up on the Twitter page. So if you want to find some other morsels of weirdness and send them our way, we'd love to see them too. Morsels of Weirdness. That's the name of my cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. Look for that. Coming in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, speaking of weird cookbooks, uh, Salvador Dali had a cookbook. Really? Yeah. It's like a surrealist cookbook. It's the greatest. Oh, shit. I need to get that. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those beautiful, big, like, Tashin uh, cookbooks. Um, so it's like very high quality images and stuff. So it's super expensive. Uh, but... I, I want it. Worth I want it. Every penny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. That's it. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back next time with more weirdness. Yes, we will.